This week was another reminder to all of us that we don't know what's coming. None of us do. We cannot choose our problems and we cannot choose our pain, but we can choose how we respond to it. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. We're beginning a new series today entitled Thriving in a Hostile World. Only God could have known that we needed this message today and this series at this time. We're going through James chapter 1. All the messages will be from that first chapter of James. The two earliest books that were written in the New Testament, the two oldest New Testament books are the book of Galatians that was written by Paul and the book of James written by James. Last fall, we went through the book of Galatians together and we learned so much from God's word. And now I want us to spend some time in that next book, the book of James. You remember that last summer in the month of June, we went through that tiny little book called the book of Jude and we spent four weeks in that little book. And I told you as we were going through that book that, that Jude was the half-brother of Jesus. Well, so is James. James and Jude were brothers, and they were in the same family with Jesus. They are half-brothers because all three had the same mother who is Mary, but they had different fathers. James and Jude's father was Joseph, but Jesus' father is God. You remember that when Mary was conceived, conceiving, it, she was a virgin and conceived Jesus born of a virgin. James did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah during his ministry. He totally rejected the idea of who Jesus is. And you know, if you stop and think about it, it's pretty hard to think about your big brother as the Messiah of the world. And that's exactly where he was. But when Jesus had died on the cross and risen from the grave, he appeared directly to James. And now James, what could he do? He had no choice. It was obvious that Jesus truly was the Messiah. And James accepted Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior and became a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And in fact, became such a powerful leader of the church in the first century. But never did James say, now I want everyone to treat me special because I'm the little brother of Jesus. Never did he do that. In fact, what James did is he called himself the bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want to talk to you about how to react when life hurts. James chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are scattered abroad. Stop for just a moment. These 12 tribes are obviously the 12 tribes of Israel, but what is he talking about? In the early church, the only people who were Christians were Jewish. They had come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and by the tens of thousands, it was amazing how many of them were coming to faith in Christ. 
Well, they became scattered all over the known world, and they were sharing Christ wherever they went, and they were leading other Jews to Christ and other Gentiles to Christ. And James writes this early book to these individuals who were Jews, but they were Christians, and they had accepted Christ as their Savior. James, the bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Verse 2, consider it all joy when you experience various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith creates patience, endurance. So let patience have its perfect work, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When James begins his book, he reminds us that there are three truths about problems that we must admit. And the first one is simply this, problems are inevitable. Notice how he puts it in verse 2, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. He didn't say if, he says when. Because we are going to experience problems. If you're not going through problems right now, well, yay God for that. You are in a special period of time, but don't worry, problems are coming. They are on the way for you because this is life. And in fact, Jesus even said it, in this world, you will have tribulation. The presence of problems do not mean that God has abandoned you. They don't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. They mean you're a human being and that you are alive because it's part of living life to experience challenges and difficulties and problems. There's a second truth that James tells us. He says problems are also unpredictable. Notice what he says, whenever you encounter problems. That word that is translated encounter is the Greek word peripipto. It's the word that we get peptobismal from. That's not actually true. I just made that up. But it sort of sounds like it should have been, right? The word Peripipto is actually mean, means to be ambushed by. You're going down the street. Everything is wonderful. Life is fantastic. The birds are singing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, comes something you would have never anticipated. You could have never dreamed it would happen. And there it is. You've been ambushed by that problem. This is a true story that I'm going to tell you. There is a guy that lives in Los Angeles... And in order to get to work, he would always ride the subway from his house to his job and then back to his home. Well, one morning he woke up, he had an upset stomach, it was really hurting him, but he had to go to work because he had things he had to get done and it was, there was no sitting home today. So he went to work and he shouldn't have done it, but he ate a big lunch. I don't know what he was thinking. I guess he wasn't thinking. And in the afternoon now, his whole stomach is just churning. It is boiling and he's thinking, I'm never going to get to the end of this day. But five o'clock comes and he leaves his job and he gets back on the subway. But on the subway, it's full. I mean, it's rush hour and so there's only one little space left and he gets in that space and he has to face outward simply because that's the only space he's got. So the doors close and off goes the subway. Well, these subways go 90 miles an hour. 
and things are just whizzing by, whizzing by, whizzing by, and he's got them right in front of him, and he can't miss them, and the more they whiz by, the sicker he feels. And then suddenly, the subway car stops, and that's all his stomach could take. The doors open, and out comes his lunch right on the guy that is standing there ready to get on the subway. All over him. It just stinking and it was just slimy and all over him. And when other people saw it, they stopped and they, they thought, I'm not going any further. And then the doors closed and off went the subway. And here is the man just standing there. This is called ambush. And he says to us, look, you got to understand that problems are inevitable and problems are unpredictable. The third thing is that problems come in many shapes and sizes. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. What he's talking about is different levels of intensity, different times of duration, and different kinds of problems. It could be something very small like, a, okay, you get a flat tire, it's an annoyance, all the way to total devastation and everything in between. And he is saying to us, these things are coming. This is part of living life. That's the bad news, but there is good news. He then tells us that every problem we face has a positive purpose in our life. That doesn't mean that God does all these things that happen. It doesn't mean that these terrible things that we experience were the will of God at all. But it does mean that God has given freedom to us. He has given free will to mankind. Without it, we're robots. Without it, we're nothing but puppets. But with it, it means that people can make wrong decisions, wrong choices, and the worst of evil can come. Things that we could hardly even conceive will happen. Evil will have its day, and we will experience those. It isn't God that creates that, but it is God that gives freedom, and that is part of the result that happens. We don't want him to take the freedom away, because without freedom, we have no will of our own. We don't want him to take it away, but when it comes, sometimes we experience things that we we did not cause, that God did not cause, but God does say to us, I will help you in the midst. There are times that I have to do some self-talk. I know that this is true, and there are times that I have to remind myself, God is in the midst of this. I know it because the Bible says it, and I know it because I've experienced in my life when God has taken the worst of the worst, and he has turned it around for good, and I have seen him do it. So when these times come, God is saying, let me tell you, I will use what you are experiencing right now, and I'll turn it for good in your life. So what does then James tell us about this? What are the benefits of the problems? Well, first of all, problems are designed to develop our endurance. Verse 3, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. It's patience. It's endurance. This word simply means that it stretches us and that it strengthens us. So I want you to think with me for a moment about going to the gym, and you're working out at the gym, and you've got weights on the weight machines or they're free weights, and you are, you are pumping iron. 
What is happening while you're doing this? What is happening is you're breaking down your muscles. This is why when you get through with a rigorous time that you are exhausted. You're like a wet rag. You, you're thinking, I, need, I don't even have the energy to leave the gym today. You have really worked hard. You have broken your muscles down. And what happens is over the next few hours and the next few days, your muscles build themselves back up again, but actually bigger than before. And when you are doing this month after month and year after year, it is amazing how big, how strong you now are. Because what you were doing all this time is that you were stretching yourself. You were strengthening yourself. And God is saying to us, this is what is happening as you are going through problems and difficulties and you're responding correctly to them. They build patience. They build endurance. So how does God teach his patience? It is not by making everything great. It is about us experiencing things that seem to, to make our life fall apart and trusting Him in the midst of them. Problems are developing our endurance. Problems are designed to develop our character. This is what God is up to in our life. We've talked about it many times that God's greatest goal for you and me is that we would become like Jesus, our purpose is to love and lead all people to what? Life change. Life change in Christ. And what that means is, is that we are becoming more and more and more and more and more like Christ. That means that we are becoming more of the character of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that is what James is talking about when he says in James chapter 1, verse 4, let endurance have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It doesn't mean that we are sinlessly perfect. It doesn't mean that we never make mistakes. That's not the idea of perfect. The word perfect that he uses here is, means the word maturity. It means that we are maturing in our life. And God is saying, I'm in the process of growing you up. And I'm using these situations and difficulties of your life to do it. So when they come, don't panic. Don't panic. The world's not coming to an end. God has not lost control. Don't panic. God is in the midst of this moment. He didn't cause the problem, but he knows how to use the problem for good in your life. So make the decision in the midst of all of this, to make the most of what you're experiencing right now. The long-range planning of God in your life is to change your character, to change my character, to mature us. God is much more interested in building our character than in making us comfortable. So oftentimes, He will let us go through discomfort because he knows that that discomfort, if we, live in that dis, if we live in comfort all the time, we actually grow weaker, not stronger. He is so much more interested in our character. So he allows us to go through this time. So if you are going through hard times and difficulties, what is he wanting us to do? There are two things that actually causes us to grow spiritually. The first is when we bring in the Word of God into our life. 
Every time you're reading the Bible, every time you're reading Scripture, always be thinking to yourself, okay, how can I use this? What, what, what does this mean in my life? What changes do I need to make? He uses Scripture coming into our heart and then applying it, applying that word in the everyday problems and issues of our life. I've met so many people, and they'll read the Bible, and okay, I got my, I got my Bible passage read, but they, they don't ever internalize anything. They don't ask the, the question, okay, how, how do I use this? What does this mean in my life? What change does, is this to be? And then they go through life, and what do they do? They face problems, and they just revert back to what other people in the world say, what the culture says. But the Word of God was intended to be applied to everyday issues that we face. And when we apply it to those issues, something, suddenly something begins to happen to us. We are really growing up. You may not be able to see it, just like a little child who is growing every day, every day. But when you're living with that child, you don't see any of the change. But if you haven't seen that child in a year or two, and then you see that, oh, my soul, look how they've grown. And the same thing happens in us. As we are bringing God's Word in, every time we decide, I'm not going to read the Bible today, we are saying, I'm choosing not to grow today. Bring the Word of God in, and then apply it to the everyday issues that you're facing. If you're in the middle of a trial, and how you're responding is, God doesn't love me anymore. How could a loving God let me go through this? God must have abandoned me. God doesn't care about me. Don't do this. You're actually hurting yourself as you are confessing negative things that are not true at all. How do I know that God loves me? He gave me the greatest demonstration of His love when He sent His Son to come to this earth and to live this life and then to be tortured and beaten and whipped and nailed to a cross and He took my sins and He placed them on Jesus and Jesus died for my sins and then rose again. That it was the greatest demonstration of love that God could have ever given to us. He loves you. You never have to, to, to worry about that. You never have to, to, to wonder if God loves you. He loves you so much, He sent His Son to die for you on the cross. Don't use the negative confessions that only steal away your emotional energy. No, the truth is, God does love you. And this moment that you're going through, as hurtful and hard as it is, God plans to use this in your life. He will use it to help build your character. The third thing is that problems are designed to purify our faith. He uses the word testing in the passage. And, out, and many times in Scripture, when the testing, the, the word testing is used, there is the analogy that is connected to it of gold. The testing, the purification of gold. So what is that? What, how, 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 how is that? How does this fit? How does the idea of testing and going through hard times connect with the purification of gold? Because the Bible uses it so many times as an analogy. Well, when you purify gold, it is a metal, you have to heat it up. And in fact, you've got to heat it up super hot to the place in which that gold actually turns into liquid gold. And when gold turns into a liquid, when it's superheated, it is actually totally clear. 
you can see right through it. And what happens is, is that when that gold is superheated and it is a liquid and it's clear, you can now see all the impurities. Pieces of dirt and other rocks and, and other metals that have been uh, somehow inserted in. And, and they can take some instrument and they can pick out all the impurities. And now when they have done it, it is now pure gold. So with that in mind, Listen to what Job says in Job chapter 23, verse 10. He has tested me through the refining fire, and I have come out as pure gold. Job's going through terrible times, hard times, hurtful times. The fire has sort of been elevated in his life. Don't you feel like sometimes that you are going through the fire? But as we're doing this, what God is doing is allowing this to purify our faith. Faith is not faith. Faith is not faith until it's been tested. Oftentimes we're learning things, we feel like we're growing, and maybe we are, but maybe we're thinking we're we're growing faster than we really are, and God uses a time of the fire to test us, and then we see all the impurities. And as he begins to pick out those impurities, we begin to realize what it means to have real faith, real faith in him. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 says it this way, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith. What does he mean? What is he saying by this? He said, look, there was a day that you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you did it by faith. You didn't see him with your own eyes. You haven't seen heaven with your own eyes. But you came to understand this is true, and by faith you have accepted Jesus Christ in your heart. Now, as you accepted Jesus in your heart, now live every day this way. Live in faith every day. No, I haven't seen the end of this problem. No, I don't know exactly how everything is going to turn out, but I decide I will trust God. I decide that I will have that same kind of faith that I had when I accepted Christ, and I will live in faith in this moment. Every time we go through a test, every time we go through a trial in our lives, there are two questions that are being asked that we're answering. Do you trust me? And the second one, how much? Do you trust me and how much? And as we're going through these difficult days, we're going through these hard times, do you trust me? And how much do you trust me? And God is using this moment to help us answer that question, to purify our faith. So there's a third thing that's in this passage. There is a way to respond to hard times that will give us a maximum benefit. And this is what James teaches us in the passage. So listen to what he he says. First of all, if we're going to make the most of our troubles, we have to decide to do so. We've got to make the decision. This is how I want to respond in this moment. That's the idea when he says in verse 2, consider it all joy. That word consider, the word consider means to determine something is true 
no matter what your feelings say to the opposite. All my feelings are yelling against believing God at this moment. Everybody around me is, is telling me, don't believe God right now. Everything is telling me to not. But what he is saying is, no, you decide that you will. It is an internal attitude of the heart. Listen to what Psalm 34 verse 1 says. I will bless, circle the word bless, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. And this is King David saying, I'm going to tell you, it doesn't mean everything went well with King David. King David had the hardest of days. He suffered things you and I will never suffer. He went through hardships and difficulties that you and I will never go through. But David made a decision. I will bless the Lord. I will praise the Lord at all times. He was choosing his perspective. That's what was going on. He was choosing his attitude. Here is how I will live in this moment. We can control our perspective of problems. No problem can control us. We choose our attitude. We choose our attitude. So James is saying, choose it. Choose it right. Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychologist who lived in Germany during World War II. Nazi Germany, the most despicable, evil that mankind could concoct is Nazism. And Viktor Frankl lived at that moment of time and he was arrested like all the other Jews and he was put in a concentration camp. I've been to Israel five or six times and the first time that Kathy and I went to Israel, one of the things we did in Jerusalem is that we went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. I was not ready for that. I can still see pictures of those poor people going through the terrible suffering they did. I, I, I could not imagine what these six million Jewish people that were killed in World War II for no other reason that they were Jewish. And what they went through. Every so often I encounter somebody who tells me they don't even believe that the Holocaust happened. And I just want to slap them. I do. I, I want to slap them. I have not slapped one person that believed that. But I want to slap them. I'm slapping them in my mind, I can tell you. <laughs> what is wrong with you? And Viktor Frankl was one of those people. And here is what he said. He said, they stripped me, and he survived. He said, they stripped me of everything. They took my family and my wedding ring and all my possessions, and I stood there with everything gone. And all of a sudden, I realized at that moment that although they could take 
everything from me. My wife, my family, my possessions, they could not take away my freedom to choose how I was going to respond. And he goes on to say, when he came to a realization, they can't take everything from me. They cannot take my response. He said, it empowered me. I knew I had something that I had control of. You can choose how you will respond to the hardships that you face in your life. You can choose. You remember the story of Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And Joseph in the Old Testament was sold, can you believe this, by his own brothers into Egyptian bondage. Well, God blessed him and everything he touched just prospered. And people, that, the, the guy that, that bought him, and God used that to bless this guy. And, but every time when he thought everything was going to be fine and everything was going great, suddenly his legs were knocked out from under him again. And the worst things kept happening in his life. But it didn't change his heart. It didn't change his attitude. He kept trusting God. He knew God was ultimately in charge. I don't know how it's going to, how it's going to work out. I don't know when he's going to deliver me. I don't know how he's going to deliver him. But I know my God will. And he kept going. He kept trusting God. And the most amazing thing happened. God interceded in his life and God rose him up to be second in command of all of Egypt. How in the world could this possibly have happened? It was God moving in his life. And God used Joseph to, to restore and to save the people in Egypt and even to save his own family and those, his own brothers that had sold him into, into, into slavery. And then his brothers are standing in front of him. and There is a confrontation and they're scared to death. What is Joseph going to do to us? And in Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 it says, And for, and for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. What is he doing? He is choosing his response. He is saying, I'll trust God and I'll see this through God's eyes. I'll see this through God's eyes. And he refused to waver. No matter what you're going through. I don't know what you're experiencing, but I, I know on both campuses there are individuals that are going through the heat of the fire. No matter what you're going through. I know God will deliver you and I know that God will rescue you. And if you will keep your heart on him. Keep your heart on him. Choose how you will respond. That, that is what James is saying. Consider. Then second of all, he says, if you're going to the most, you're going to get the most out of your trials, we have to accept the peace and confidence. Confidence God intends for us during the trial. That's what he's saying when he says, consider it all joy. Consider it all joy. He's not saying, oh, be happy about all these terrible things that are happening. He's not telling us to be happy. He's not telling us to put on from some fake smile on our face. He's not saying that. He is not calling, saying it happy. He's saying joy. The word joy means the confident assurance in the midst of trouble that says everything's going to be okay because of Christ. The word means an inward peace, an inward confidence. 
that I know God's going to come through. I don't know how he is. I don't know when he is. I don't know what it's going to look like. I know you think I'm stupid by thinking the way I'm thinking. I know you think I'm crazy. I know you want me to curse God and die, but I refuse to do it. And I will trust God. I will trust God through this. This is what he is saying when he says, consider it all joy. And then, if you want to get the most of your trials, you must choose to trust God to see you through. That's what he is saying in James chapter 1, verse 4. But let endurance have its perfect result, that you might be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Don't give in to anger. Don't give in to anger. Don't be mad at God. Don't give in to anger. Don't fight God by constantly complaining against God. I remember in the Old Testament that these people that Moses led out, the Jewish people out of Egypt, out of Egyptian bondage, God intended to take them into the promised land. And they could have gotten there in almost no time seemingly, in just weeks and months. And there was the moment there at Kadesh Barnea that God said, let's go in. And they refused to trust God. And God said, everyone that voted no. Everyone that said, we will not go in. We cannot do it. It's greater than us. We cannot do it. Everyone that said no, God said, I'm going to let them die out in this wilderness. And then I'm going to take your kids who will trust me. And I'll put, take them into the promised land. And what happened is, here they were for 40 years out in the desert. They could have gotten to the promised land with no trouble whatsoever. But God said, no, you're not going in. And for 40 years, they just wandered out there in the desert. Here's a mountain. And all they do for 40 years is keep going around the same mountain, keep going around the same mountain, keep going around the same mountain. And I'm going to tell you, there are many Christians today that are doing the same thing. The last time that you faced a difficulty, what did you do? You cried and you whined and you said, where is God and why doesn't God help me and why is this happening? And then it all came to pass and, and you were delivered. And then the next time you had a problem, it was crying and whining and why is God? And here's what I'm saying to you. Stop, Keem, stop going around the same mountain. Stop wandering in the wilderness. You can go into the promised land. It just means that you've got to trust God. And at this moment that you are facing, this is the moment to trust God. Let's do something different this time. Let's trust God. Let's talk about God's deliverance. Let's talk about what God will do. Let's talk how God will work in our life. Let's let God do that. And I'm going to tell you what will happen. You will leave that mountain that you keep going around and you will enter into the promised land. And that is what James is trying to say to us. It doesn't mean it's easy. But it means it's time to trust God. Why don't you do it? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this truth. We can choose our response. We cannot choose our problems. We cannot choose our pain, but we can choose how we're going to respond and go, oh God, you are going to bless us and you are going to meet this need and you are going to deliver us. You've done it in the past and oh God, we are trusting in you. God, I pray that you would move in the hearts of some that are here in both campuses that do not yet know Jesus. They, they, they've wondered about you, Father. They've, they've wondered about who God is and what God wants to do in their life, but oh God, they have not yet made that decision. I'm going to give my heart and life to Jesus Christ. God, may 
may this be the day of salvation in their heart. And may many on both campuses make that decision. I want this God in my life. I want to know the God that made me. Move in hearts, Father, to do that. And I pray, Father, for some who, who are on both campuses and they know you as Savior and they may be visiting this church and there's a sense in their heart, this place just feels like home. And I pray, Father, you would lead them and move them to become a part of this family of God. Father, I pray you would move in all of our hearts to teach us how in the times of hurt and heartache to choose you, to put our heart on you and see what you will do in our midst. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.